I am just pumped to be here. As Steve said, um, we have been praying for you a lot, and uh, we love Steve and Sharon. I've said this before. You've heard me say this before if you were um, with Steve and Sharon at their previous ministry. Um, Steve and Sharon are like a big brother and big sister to my wife and I. Uh, we love them immensely. And the fact that um, you are with them and doing ministry with them and living life with them, um, that just encourages my heart. And um, it has been awesome since October to just talk to Steve uh, once or twice a month and get updates of what God is doing. I want to echo what we just heard. I mean, this is not normal. It's not normal. Um, I'm a church planter that's been going hard at it for eight years, and what's going on here isn't going on where I am. And so what you, you have to steward this really well, and you need to guard your heart really well. And so we're going to dive into a passage of God's Word this morning that I believe will be appropriate uh, for this faith family right here as you seek to accomplish the mission. Before I dive in, uh, my family isn't here with me this morning, and so whenever there's a new preacher, you know, guest speaker is like, who is this guy? Where is he from? And where is his family? And so I think I have a picture of my family for you. Uh, we've been on a two-week uh, vacation. We're at family camp up in Michigan last week, and now we've been the last uh, week we've been in Pennsylvania. My, uh, the rose amongst the thorns, that's my wife, Miriam, and she's a PA girl. She's about an hour and a half from here. Um, in the Honesdale area is where she grew up. She grew up on a dairy farm, and um, so she loves coming uh, to this area and seeing all the farms and all the smells that the rest of us don't like. Um, but no, the guy next to my wife, he's actually a rising senior, and uh, we've been checking out some colleges here in PA, Grove City, and a few others. Um, he's hoping to play soccer there. And then um, the 16-year-old is Owen. That's the blonde. He has a he's actually taller than me now. And uh, this picture was taken at Easter, right around the time he surpassed me. And then uh, the guy in front of me is Creed, and he is uh, a rising seventh grader. And then the redhead, we call him the Red Rocket, that's Judah. Um, to put it in perspective, Sharon used to rock him to sleep when we were at the training center, and so now he's huge. So that's our family, and uh, they'll be here um, in the next service, so if you have a chance to meet them, they would love to meet you. So excited to see some familiar faces, though, um, but let's dive into God's Word together. Um, I like to consider myself to be an athlete. However, I was never much of a swimmer. Um, however, but because I can't swim, like, you know how sometimes you look at some athletes, like, they can't do what I wish I could do, so you're just, like, enamored with what they do? You know what I'm saying? So one of those guys for me is Michael Phelps. Uh, Michael Phelps is probably, I would consider, to be the greatest athlete in my lifetime. Um, he actually won 22 Olympic medals, 18 of which were gold medals. He set 39 world records when he was swimming. Several of those records still remain today. And although Phelps, if you, if you know who I'm talking about, like he had like the perfect physique for swimming, and no doubt he had a raw talent for the sport, he didn't just like jump into the water and start breaking records. You know what I'm saying? Um, what many people don't know about the life of Michael Phelps is when he was in elementary and middle school, he was waking up at 4.30 in the morning to get in the pool for three hours before school. And um, when he was in, in high school, he would be back in the pool for three more hours until late in the evening. Um, when he was a young boy, I mean, he's, he's in the pool six hours a day. When he was an adult, eight hours a day just perfecting his swim stroke. 
working on his endurance. He was a phenomenal athlete. This is like football country. This is Pennsylvania. This is like we are Penn State, right? Uh, my brother was a big Penn State fan. He had season tickets to Penn State. And um, Phelps was a phenomenal football player, phenomenal baseball player, but he had to sacrifice other sports in participating in other things because he had one singular passion. He wasn't satisfied unless he was the one being crowned. My question for you this morning, it's simply this. Here's the question. Here's the diagnostic question that you need to be asking yourself throughout this sermon and really you need to be asking yourself this week. Simply this, what's my passion? What's my passion? What are the things in your life that you enjoy more than anything else? What are the things that you will go to great lengths in order to attain? What, to attain? what do you give your time to? What, are, what do you give your attention to? What do you give your finances to? What do you sacrifice for? What do you speak about the most? And in the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 27. In this passage of Scripture that we're looking at, it's just going to be one verse. The author is David. You probably know him as maybe King David, or maybe you like to think of him as Shepherd Boy David, or maybe when you hear David, you think of Warrior David, right? Those are all true about the life of David. But typically, when we think of David, we don't think of him as Fugitive David. But in this passage that we're looking at this morning, that we're just kind of parachuting into, this is Fugitive David. He is being hunted by his father-in-law the way a hunter would be tracking a deer. He actually fled from his home. He's in a desert. He's, they call it the wilderness, but it's, it's a desert. He's in a place called En Gedi. If you've ever been to Israel, you probably ended up at En Gedi. I've been to En Gedi, and it's just like there's no water. It's hot. It's a desert. The only water source is the Dead Sea. So here's this man, David, who was supposed to be crowned king shortly. He's living in a cave. He has very little food. He's running for his life. He's in a desert. Maybe you come here this morning and you're not living in a physical desert, but maybe spiritually or what's going on in your life, you feel as though like, man, I can resonate because I'm in a little bit, I'm in a little bit of a desert. I'm in a tough spot. Maybe it's something going on with your job. Maybe it's a disease or a diagnosis. Maybe you just received word that you don't have the money to go back to school in the fall. I don't know what your situation is, but here's what we have to understand, loved ones. It's in the difficulty that we discover what we desire most. Did you get that? It's in the desert. It's in those difficulties that God sovereignly places in our life that we discover something about ourselves and we discover what our passion is. And amazingly, as David is in a desert and he's being hunted, he's a fugitive. David's passion isn't safety. David's passion isn't to be with his family. David's passion isn't the comforts of these earthly pleasures, even the basic comforts of of food and water. His passion isn't that future kingdom that he wanted. His His passion that we see in this passage is that his passion was the Lord. So if you desire to live a life of, and I don't know what your values are anymore, it used to be like for us at our church, it's unashamed adoration. 
I mean, if you want to live a life of just continual worship, regardless of the situation, Psalm 27.4 must be a verse uh, that you live out and you follow the example of David. So if you remember one thing from our time in God's word, here it is. Here's what we call the big idea. Um, a life of adoration requires the proper passion. A life of adoration. If you're going to commit your life fully to Jesus, if you're going to be all about Jesus, hands in the air, despite the difficulty of what's going on in your situation, a life of adoration requires the proper passion. Psalm 27, 4 says this, One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Well, the verse that we're looking at this morning, I, I love this verse. It's been a verse that... Um, Really, probably about 15 years ago, I really, it resonated with me in a powerful way. And what I love about this verse that we're looking at this morning, though, is it's actually, many commentators say it's actually the life verse of King David. Isn't that kind of cool? Now, if you're new to church, basically, um, we have these, like, Christianese phrases that we use all the time. And so we say things like, there's like 31,000 verses in the Bible. And every single one of them is important. But we say things like, I have a life verse, or do you have a life verse? And basically, um, let me define what a life verse is. A life verse is something that you reflect upon and you turn to frequently, right? A life verse is that verse that probably, as I just quoted it to you, you have it committed to your memory because it can impact you greatly. Well, this verse, Psalm 27, 4, this is probably, many commentators say, this is David's life verse. And he shares with us, this is man, the man after God's own heart, he shares with us how to live a life of adoration regardless of the situation. And so this morning, if you want to live a life of adoration, number one, number one, if I want to live a life of adoration, my passion must be singular. My passion must be singular. What I love about verse 4 is that this first phrase, this first phrase of verse 4, say that five times fast, that'll get you. Um, this is one of the most single-minded purpose statements in all of Scripture. And David writes one thing. One thing I've asked of the Lord. He's concerned, again, think of the background, he's concerned about one thing, and here's why. Because a divided passion leads to distractions. You've got to get that. He's concerned about one thing because a divided passion leads to distractions. Go back to that, per, that opening example of Michael Phelps. He understood a divided passion, football, baseball, it will lead to distractions. And so what David did is David disregarded all other interests so that he could enjoy God and experience a communion with God that is all satisfying. And this passion for God that David had, it did not change upon his circumstances. And again, his life wasn't a bed of roses. I mean, he is a fugitive on the run. He is alone. He has been betrayed by his father-in-law. He's suffering physically. He's suffering emotionally. These are the times where typically, if we're not careful, where we will suffer spiritually as well. But his life problems didn't sway his passion. That ever happened to you? Have you ever been in one of those painful situations where it caused your passion to just dissipate. You know, a lot of people say, 
um, 2020, you know, 2020, you know where I'm going with this, right? 2020, hardest year of everybody's life, right? Well, 2020 wasn't the hardest year of my life. It was actually 2021 was the hardest year of my life because you had everything that was going on with 2020. And then the fall of 2021, there was like this second COVID surge. And none of us really knew what we were doing with the first COVID surge, but we learned something. And so we decided with the second COVID surge, this makes sense. We're going to do two services. My, myself and our elders team, we decided this. We're going to do two services. We're going to have a mask required service. And they're going to come in. Everybody's going to wear a mask. And then we're going to have a mask optional service for the second service. Does that make sense to most of you? Like, I thought it made sense. Our elder team thought it made sense. And so when we decided to do that, um, I got this email. And um, the email said, I am never again setting foot in your um, CDC satanic occultic worshiping temple again. Because we said we were going to have a mask required service and a mask optional service. Now, the day I got that email, the person sending the email didn't realize that my 46-year-old brother unexpectedly passed away. And so I'm at this point in my life where, you know, starting in 2020, February, March of 2020, and that whole year, and then nine months into 2021, like, I am tired. I am done. I, like, I was done with ministry. Like, I'm just sick of just, you, you know, just dealing with, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't have much time. All that to say, like, I was done. I was. I was done. I wanted out. I was ready to hang it up. Discouragement derailed my direction in life. And I lost my passion. It's common for God's people. And I remember, like, so this happened on, on um, September 7th is the day my brother died in 2021. And I remember two months later, I was at this big pastor's conference uh, through an organization that I'm a part of down in November, two months later. And um, it was exactly two months later, just a couple days short of two months later. And I remember being at this pastor's thing. And here's what pastors do. <laughs> here's what pastors do. They get together at these pastor's conference. And like the most spiritual pastor, they love to prove their spirituality. And they're the one that sings the loudest. You know what I'm saying? And their hands are in the air. And they're the most passionate. You know, they're doing their thing. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, I'm like this. I don't want to be here. If I could get out of ministry right now, I would. I have nothing to fall back on. I'm done. And I'm like duking it out with God. You ever been there? Like you and God are having like this conversation, and it's like you feel like he's really talking to you. If that makes you nervous, just email steve at redeemerchurch.org, and we'll take care of that problem. But we're just like duking it out. And God's like, you need to trust me. And I'm having this conversation with God. I'm like, I know I need to trust you. Like, literally, like, I know I need to trust you. I've got a master's degree in counseling. I do this stuff all the time. I know I need to trust you. He's like, no, Matt, you need to trust me. Another Christianese phrase that we trust God. Trust God. I'm like, all right, God, what does it mean for me to trust you? I need to know what it means for me to trust you. And it was just, just like this. Boom, here we go. You might want to write this down. It might be helpful at some point in your life. Um, and, and he said, just like this, he said, Matt, T, turn to me. Turn to me. You're going to a lot of places right now. Just turn to me. And then he said next, he said, release it to me. He wants to hear from us. Release it to me. Cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Release it to me. And then this is the part that I didn't like next that he said to me. He said, you, understand it may be hard. Turn to me. You have nowhere else to go. 
I'm the creator. I'm the sustainer. I'm the redeemer. Turn to me. Release it to me. Pass all your cares upon me. And then understand it may be hard. And it gets, it gets a little bit worse. And then he said, S, submit to my plan. The sovereign one says, submit to my plan. And I'm a pastor, and I like alliteration, so I'm waiting for the next T, you know? What's the next T? And it was silent. And so I went home the next morning. My wife and I, we sit in the same spot every day. We start our day together um, with our Bibles, and she's on the couch, and I'm in my chair. I'm telling her what's going on. I'm like, yeah, this like, conversation with God, and, you know, he just said, I got to trust him and turn to me, release it to me. I'm sure it may be hard to submit to my plan. I'm like, but he left out the T. I don't know what the T is. And I love how God will speak to us and he uses his word to speak to us. But this is why you should be in a small group because he allows other people to speak into your life as well. Sometimes it can be your spouse. Sometimes it can be a church member. But God uses other people to speak his truth into you. And my wife said to me, Matt, the T is just take the next step. Just take the next step. Just one step at a time. Just take the next step. What's the next step? My discouragement derailed my direction. I lost my passion. It's common. But we must turn to God. We must release to Him. We must understand it may be hard. We must submit to His plan. We must take the next step. I love A.W. Tozer, a book called The Pursuit of God. Do you guys have a bookstore? Do you sell books here? What do you do? All right, we're going to start that soon. That's one of, on the job description, right? We're going to start selling good books around here. Who wants good books? Who wants good books? Oh, yeah, there we go. Um, one of my favorite books is a guy by the name of A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God. And he says this, God wills that we should push on into his presence and live our whole life there. Isn't that good? Push into his presence and live our whole life there. This is to be known to us in conscious experience. It is more than a doctrine to be held. It is a life to be enjoyed every moment of every day. And in Psalm 27, David's passion was God's presence because it's the only thing that would satisfy so what does David do in Psalm 27? He asked for more of Jesus. He asked for more of Jesus. We're going to see that in a moment. But let, before we hook into that, let me just ask you one simple question. When was the last time when you were in the desert and you just said, Jesus, I need more of you? Jesus, help me to love you more. Help me to know you more. Help me to be content with what you have the path that you have paved for me right now. Help me to hear from you. Help me to be satisfied in you. Listen, a life of adoration requires the proper passion. And this leads to a second way we must live if we're going to live a life of adoration regardless of the situation. If I want to live a life of adoration, number two, my passion must be pursued. My passion must be pursued. I remember when my wife and I, when we were engaged um, we were, I was um, doing campus ministry at a school called Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina. And um, she was out living out towards Honesdale. And so we're talking like 13, 14 hour car ride that separated us. And I remember um, I was in seminary, I was doing campus ministry, but I was doing like these side hustles because that's what you do when you're in seminary. And so I was working the side hustle and I was installing hardwood floors with this guy and he said, hey, man, um, this was Thursday afternoon, like 3 o'clock Thursday afternoon or 4 o'clock Thursday. He's like, hey, we had a really good week. Um, we're going to take tomorrow off. And you have school on Monday, and we'll reconnect on Tuesday. So I'm thinking, hold on a second. I have tomorrow off. And typically, you know, had to work on Friday. But I'm thinking, wait, how many hours does it take me to get to PA? 
like if I leave at like five in the morning, I'll be there at five, six o'clock at night, and then I'll have like 18 hours with her, 27 hours, something crazy like that. And I'll have to head back to be at seminary on Monday morning. And, and, and that's exactly what I did. 26 hours of driving to be with the one whose presence I enjoyed for 13 hours. I share that with you to simply say this. That's the kind of mindset we must have if we're going to enjoy God and make him our passion. Passionate pursuit. Listen, passionate pursuit results in relationship. The same way that Phelps just didn't like jump into the water and start winning medals, David's passionate love for his God didn't just show up one day in his life. You know what I'm talking about? Like the man after God's own heart. Everybody looks at David. How do I get there? Well, it just doesn't happen. David relentlessly, that's what we're seeing in this passage, in this, passage, in this verse. He, he relentlessly pursued. He relentlessly persevered after God. And it was only after David pursued hard after God that God became his passion. A verse that I love, Jeremiah 29, verse 13. Many of you, this might be your life verse. Great life verse if it is. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The Apostle Paul, he says something very similar in Romans chapter 6. We just got out of a series in Romans 6 and 7 that we called Set Free. It was so much fun. And I love this passage in Romans 6. Paul tells the Romans that before they are free from sin... And before they are free from sin, and I guess I should say ruled by righteousness, there's a decision of the will that must be present in the life of the believer. Romans 6, 12 through 14 says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But he says this, But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments... For righteousness. Listen, Redeemer Church, if you want God to be your passion, regardless of the situation, there is a decision of the will. You must pursue Him, you must present yourself to God. Recently, I came across this quote by D.A. Carson. He says this this is good stuff. People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. Get this. He says, we drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. If we want God to be our passion, we must pursue him. Tozer says this in the same book, Pursuit of God. He says, complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. And then he says this. You might want to write this down. He waits to be wanted. Isn't that good? 
He waits. He, he is wait, for, for some of you, right now, you're in a season in your life where, like me, you just, like, he's waiting on you for you to want him. We pursue the things we want. We go to great lengths to get the things that we want. And, and amazingly, what I love about this passage, if you understand the background, David is being hunted by his enemy, but he doesn't seek protection, provision, or restoration. He doesn't seek his kingdom. We find him seeking the Lord. He says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, and then he says this, that will I seek after. That will I seek after. In the midst of the tremendous difficulty, David is looking for and he's searching for and he's working toward trying to get more of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is soul satisfying. That's what we must understand when we're in the desert. He wants Jesus because only Jesus can parch his dry, wearied soul. When you're consumed with Christ, you will chase after Christ. Like David, you will overcome the, any obstacle that's preventing you from dwelling in God's presence and enjoying him. His presence will be your passion. So write down this question. This is a great question to be asking yourself this week. What's preventing me from experiencing God's presence regularly? What's preventing me from experiencing God's presence maybe regularly or maybe a better word is continually? You know, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, I actually just preached this sermon at another church last week. Um, he, not this sermon I'm preaching to you, but a passage from Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, 1 says this, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We're, we're in this race of the Christian life. And the author of Hebrews basically says this. He says two things. Two things if you're going to run the race well. Two things if you're going to be faithful and what I love about Hebrews 12, it's right after Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith, right? In Hebrews 12, 1, he just jumps into this whole race thing. You want to be in the hall of faith someday? Here it is. And he says it right in the verse. He says, is there a weight you must eliminate? Is there, what are the weights that are slowing you down in the Christian life? What's the weight that's preventing you from being all about Jesus and only about Jesus, even in the difficult times? And I know for me, I have all these various weights. And, and one of the weights, it's like, you guys, like you're Penn State fans, right? And I really respect that. And I love football. I love football. So for me, like football, I believe football is a gift that's been created by God. I think we're going to play it in heaven. Even Steve. Maybe not baseball, but football. And for me, like how many football fans do we have in the room? Raise your hand if you're like, yeah, I really love football. Okay, so, so here's the thing about football. Football is a wonderful thing because we can watch Thursday night football. Then Friday night, we go to the high school football game. Then on Saturday, if we don't watch game day, we're watching like the Big Ten game at, at noontime, right? There's always a Big Ten game. And it goes till midnight, game's on all day long. And then Sunday, we have football all over again. And then we have Monday night football. And listen, loved ones, if I'm not careful, I love football so much that I could do that on Thursday and watch it all the way through. I could give my life to 30 hours of football on a weekend if I'm not careful. I love it that much. Is there anything sinful about football? No. It's a gift. That's been given to us by the gift giver. But here's what happens. That can be a weight. A weight that slows me down. That I must eliminate. What's your weight? And then the author says the sin that clings so closely. Like there's this sin that's tripping us up all the time. What's the sin that you must slay? You know, part of the problem with me in 2021 is my brother dies and having all these church issues. And, and part of the problem for me 
like the sin that was very difficult for me to find was I had, a sin, I, had, I had the sin issue of just discontentment. Discontentment. And it really wasn't until recently that it was really revealed to me. In fact, I'm pretty type A sometimes, and like I have, a, I have my sermon calendar all planned out like through 2024. This year I was going into 2023, and I'm like, I can't preach that. I need something for myself. Because you ever get to that point in your life where you feel like God seems like a little bit distant from you? And here's the reality, God's never distant. When you get saved, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, he resides in you, he seals you, he's in you, he's never distant from you. If you feel distant from God, that's on you. In fact, Jesus, in the greatest sermon ever preached, it's the Beatitudes, he says this, maybe you know it. Um, He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. If you ever find yourself in a situation where God feels distant from you and you're not seeing God in your life, you got to figure out, oh, I have a heart purity problem. My heart's impure. So when God felt distant to me, I'm like, i got to figure this out. And it wasn't like there was like this, like, double-sided life, like Matt's one person publicly, but at home privately, he's a different guy. I wasn't hooked on anything. There's no addiction problem, no hidden sin, but it was just this sin of discontentment. I wasn't happy with my life. I wasn't happy with maybe the direction of my church. I was unhappy about things. And, and it's those things, it's the less obvious sins that aren't as outward, the things that trip us up. We need to eliminate the weights. We need to slay the sin if you want to live a life of adoration. Life of adoration requires the proper passion. Notice the third way we must live if we're going to live a life of adoration. Number three, my passion must be 24-7. My passion must be 24-7. You know, I mentioned that when I wasn't with my wife, I wanted to be with my wife. And I remember being, like, being separated. I'm in Greenville, but I was actually living in Greenville, traveling an hour north every Monday to go to seminary at a place called RTS in Charlotte. And so I would go to RTS, and I would sit in seminary class, and, and um, do we have any, like, all right, I know we have some pastors in the room. Do we have any, like, college professors or, or, or seminary professors in the room? Any seminary professors? Good, because I never want to offend people when I'm the guest preacher. Dude, seminary professors... Most of them are nerds. That's why they're not pastors. Okay? Just put them in a room. Okay? They're smart, but they're nerds. So I had this one seminary professor, Douglas Kelly. A mind, like you wouldn't believe that. You ever see that beautiful mind movie or something like that? Like, he has this mind. You're just like, every time you sit in the room, you're like, you're a nerd, but I just want to keep listening to you. But, but you can only, like, handle bits and pieces, like 10 or 15 minutes. Even right now, some of you are like, that's me with you right now. Get on with it. I respect that. <laughs> And so I found myself, I found myself like daydreaming about the one I was going to marry. And I put her initials, M-R, because I just wanted to be with her. She captivated me. I wanted to be with her 24-7. She consumed my thoughts. And when I was with her, I was learning her and growing her. But when I wasn't with her, I was thinking about her. Well, listen, that's exactly what David did when it came to the Lord. Look at verse 4. One thing I've asked the Lord, that will I seek after. Then he says this, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That word dwell means sit and remain. I just want to sit and remain with Jesus. I just want to have a cup of coffee with Jesus all the days of my life and be in his presence. And I love that house of the Lord because the house of the Lord was called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was the Lord's dwelling place, and more than anything else, 
David just enjoyed sitting and basking in the presence of the one that he loved most. Like, think about that. He's in a desert. One thing. I just want one thing. I, I, I don't want to be set free from this life of living like a fugitive. I mean, again, he's in a desert. He's not looking for, like, the life that he thought he should have been living as the next guy who's going to be leading God's people. He's like, I just want to be in the presence of the Lord. He, he missed, he, 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 what he missed most was just worshiping the Lord that he loved. John Calvin writes this, although David was banished from his country, despoiled of his wife, bereft of his kinsfolk, and in fine, dispossessed of his substance, yet he was not so desirous for the recovery of these as he was grieved and afflicted for his banishment from God's sanctuary and the loss of his sacred privileges. Isn't that good? You know what's funny about us? When we go through the hardships of life, when we go through the desert, it's like, no, I'm not going to church. I'm not going to be in a community group. That's like the exact opposite way you need to be thinking when you're going through the hardship. I just need to be with Jesus, and I need to be with the people of Jesus. David's desire was to worship continuously. So let me ask you a question. Think about this. When you're in the desert and you're not worshiping God, do you miss him? Do you miss the community? Do you miss the fellowship? David's passion was to live in God's permanent presence. When I was writing this sermon, it made me think of the lyrics of the famous hymn penned by Martin Luther. Hey, do you guys sing hymns here? Okay, good. Most contemporary churches don't sing hymns. So you know what I did? Uh, like we're doing this road trip from North Carolina. How many Alan Jackson fans in the room? Alan Jackson? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, kids, you're going to learn the hymns. So we've been playing Alan Jackson most of the road trip. And like, and, and here's the reality. I, I, love, I love some of the old hymns. And, and Martin Luther, one of my favorites is, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. You know that one, right? And, and he writes this. He says, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill. His truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Now, now like we sing that song. But what you have to understand about Martin Luther is, is he was like the morning star. No, wait, he wasn't the morning star of the Reformation. But he was the one that like started the Protestant Reformation, right? And he nailed the 95 theses to the Catholic Church door, right? Basically, the 95, the theses, that was a thing they did back then. It was kind of like blogging. I blog something, he don't like it, he responds back. So basically, that's what he was doing with the Roman Catholic Church. He's like, we're blogging. And he writes these 95 theses. Boom, it's on the door. Well, listen, the Catholic Church from that point on wanted to kill him. And it's when he was too a fugitive, just like David, that he writes those good. Let's let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. So we sing that song. But Luther and David, like they lived that song. You tracking with me? So do you dwell with him? Do you live in the constant presence of God. I remember when I was in college, I'm from Boston area, and I was going to school in Florida, and when you went to school back then, like, you know, there's no FaceTime or anything. Like, you didn't see your family for like 16 weeks or whatever it was. And so I'd call home, and, and like, you know, you missed home, and there are a lot of things about home that you miss. You know, you miss mama's cooking. 
you know. But the thing that I always missed the most was when I would call home on Sunday and the family would be together. You know what I'm talking about? It's like there are a lot of things about life that I miss back there. I miss the food. I miss the, the weather. But, but like it's when the family gathered. We're like, man, I miss those relationships. Oh, listen, when David's in the wilderness, what he missed most wasn't anything to do with earthly comfort. It wasn't about making his life better. That's typically where I am in the desert. What he missed was the father. He missed the relationship. He missed the fellowship. He missed the worship. And if we want to live a life of adoration, our passion must be 24-7. So really practically, a few things that when I preach, I like to just be transparent. These are some of the things that typically kill my passion. All right, there's like five of them I have down. You might want to add your own list. Number one is trials. I already explained that situation. Trials. Trials can kill my, can kill my passion. Tom, we need to go to a verse like this. We need to have some fighter verses, but trials. Beware of trials. They'll kill your passion. Number two, the busyness of life. Busyness of life. Busyness of life can kill my passion. I can get, my calendar can be so jammed that I crowd out Christ. Number three, foolish choices like watching football for 30 hours from Thursday to Monday, but foolish choices on what the foolish choice you might be susceptible to. But those momentary pleasures are foolish. Blessings, God's favor. Sometimes when life's going so good, you enjoy the gifts more than the gift giver or the creation more than the creator. Last but not least, unrepentance. Unrepentance can kill my passion. Fourth way you must live if we're going to live a life of adoration. I got a cruise. How much time did you give me? Am I in bonus time right now? All right, here we go. My passion must be perceived. There's a particular way we must look at the Lord if we're going to live a life of adoration. It says to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to see and behold, to look on with gratification. In the Hebrew, it's like the way you look at a damsel. Like, oh, that's beautiful. Even this morning. Well, let me just say this. I got a cruise. Here's, here it is in a nutshell. Making Christ the passion of your life is not about trying harder. Can we get that out there? It's not about trying harder. It's a call to see. That's what we're seeing here. The psalmist has uncovered the beauty of the Lord. He describes the Lord's beauty. That's what we do when we see something beautiful. Steve rolled up this morning. He's like, how'd the night go? I'm like, oh man, it was great. I woke up this morning. I'm drinking coffee and I'm looking over my sermon and I'm looking out this window and there's this weeping willow and there's this field behind it and the fog's rolling in and the sun's cracking. I mean, it's beautiful. And you communicate things that you see that you consider beautiful. We describe the characteristics of beauty. That's what David's doing in Psalm 27. Look up at verse one. He's like, he's talking about the beauty of the Lord. He's like, my light my salvation, my, my stronghold. Like, and he just loved to just gaze upon that beauty of the Lord. Listen, making the Christ the passion of your life is a call to see his beauty. You need to get to know Christ so he becomes beautiful to you. You get to, we're, we're going to participate in communion in a second. Listen, just preach the gospel to yourself on a daily basis. Who I was so far from Jesus. The offense that my life and who I am before a holy God, and yet he sent his son. And that son laid down his life for me. When you see the beauty of, of the character of God and, and, the, and, and the beauty of the son and salvation, last but not least, 
final way we must live if we're going to live a life of adoration, my passion must be rehearsed. My son, Owen, um, he's the blonde one, the tall one. He's, he's just a great singer. Loves music. And so this, like, you know, he's getting into all this stuff. And he had a big performance this past spring. And, and I'm going to talk about this since he's not here. Um, but he was like, pra- like, every time we're in the car, he's singing. He's practicing the solo. In the shower, he's singing. He's practicing. But man, when he got on stage in front of a thousand people, the dude nailed it. He nailed it. I was proud dad. But here's the point. Repetition results in execution. Get that. Repetition results in execution. In the psalmist, when it comes to the Christian life, repetition is the key to, to living, to executing life of adoration. The, the, the psalmist ends it with, into inquire in his temple. The temple was the place that he would go to enjoy God and he would meditate and he would inquire. And believers must continually bring before their mind the beauty of the Lord. I love this poem by Frederick Faber. He says, only to sit and think of God, oh, what a joy it is to think the thought, to breathe the name, earth has no higher bliss. Father of Jesus, love's reward, what rapture will it be? Prostrate before thy throne to lie and gaze and gaze on thee. You know, a life that's passionate about adoration will live in a constant state of meditation. What are you meditating on? I began our time in God's Word talking about Michael Phelps. And in some way, we're all just like Michael Phelps. Um, Each of us has a driving passion. It could be a sport. It could be a sports team. It could be a hobby. It could be family. It could be a job. However, our passion must never be the gifts. They must be the gift giver. John Piper, I came across this quote. He says, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love, it's a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a wife. The greatest adversary of love of God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of the earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. Listen, Redeemer, God's doing awesome things here. But we need an army of people who make Christ their passion and their one soul satisfaction because that's when the mission is going to be accomplished. So as we close our time in God's word, I want to prepare our hearts for communion by just asking you one reflection question as Steve leads us here momentarily in the celebration of what our Savior did. One reflection question is simply this, what's your passion? What's your passion? If it's something other than Jesus, renew your passion so that you can live a life of adoration that accomplishes the mission. Father, we are grateful for our Savior. We celebrate him today. We celebrate the work of the gospel. We're grateful for your kindness by giving him to us. God, give us the grace to live with a singular passion so that others might see you in us and desire a relationship with you. It's in Christ's name.